to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, and called to be his holy people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace. To you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, I always thank my God for you because his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech, with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Well, as you can probably imagine, bedtime in the DeGroote household is an interesting time of day, um, to say the least. We've got four kids, if you don't know, and quite honestly, it is a mad dash most of the time. And Maybe I'm thinking about this because school starts this week, and usually when school starts, we're getting our showers done at the end of the night, and we're trying to get to bed at a decent hour and get everything prepared, and so it's a little bit crazy. But with all of my kids, with different children at different times, especially when they're toddlers, I still love to find the opportunity to sneak into one of their rooms and scoop them up into my arms and rock them to sleep. And especially when they're little, like little enough to fit on your chest, even if their limbs are all hanging off the edges, I love to, love to just sit down on their bed or in the rocking chair and, and, and embrace them, not just physically, but I don't remember when I started doing this. I've got a list of affirmations that I like to whisper into their ear while they're falling asleep. And so I'll rock them to bed and I'll say, do you know that I love you? And they're always a question, but they always know the answer. They say, yes. Do you know that I love you? Do you know that you are one of the, my favorite people in the whole world? And they'll say yes. And I'll say, do you know how proud I am of you? And they always say yes. I'll say, do you know that I think you are so smart? And they'll say yes. Do you know that you are such a good little boy or such a good little girl? And they'll say, yes, I do. And even if the room is like pitch black, you can almost see the glow that comes off of their faces every single time they affirm those affirming words. With every yes, you can hear that, first of all, they're proud to hear those words coming from the mouth of their father, but you can also hear that they desire for those words to be true in the days and weeks to come. They want to live up to those words, and that's why I do it. It's not because my children are perfect. After all, I'm their father, <laughs> and I'm not a perfect dad. It's not that they're always perfect, but there is an ideal, right? There is a goal. There is a purpose. There is a vision, and I know what that is, and I see glimpses of that in them every single day. Just this morning when I was getting prepared to come to church, as I was leaving, they were all getting up, and they all came into the kitchen, and my second oldest son, Evan, he made waffles, for the kids, and, and waffles like in the microwave, and he took the one out, he gave it to our four-year-old, Sophie, and she took it, and she says, I kid you not, she says, Evan, thank you, that was very kind of you, <laughs> right, right, and I'm like, guys, this 
this is what I'm talking about in my sermon today, right? Like, that's a glimpse. That's a glimpse of their giftedness. I see it in their heart, right? The way in which God designed them to be. I heard it in their words. And so at night, I like to affirm those things in them. And I like to affirm those things so that they will grow into them more and more in the days and years to come. Well, I like that thought as I think about what we're getting into this morning as we're beginning the introduction of what is going to be a sermon series that's going to take us straight up to, to Advent, which is closer than you think, and it's called Messy Grace. We're going to take this journey through a letter in the New Testament known as 1 Corinthians. Now, 1 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul, and he wrote it to the Christian church in a place called Corinth, a prominent city in Greece, and it's a church that he himself planted several years before that. And he's writing this letter because things have gotten messy in that church. Things have gotten messy in this church. And that's why we're calling this series Messy Grace, though it's kind of an oxymoron because messiness tends to go with the definition of grace. You need grace because things have gotten messy. Now, if you don't know the definition of grace, two words to describe it, unmerited favor. But if we want to flesh that out in the context of God's salvation of us through Christ Jesus, we can look at another letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And he says this, he says, for it is by, say it with me, grace, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, that this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And so that helps us understand what grace is. Think about the way you use grace in everyday language. If, if I'm late to respond to an email or a phone call, I might call you back or send you an email and say, sorry, it took me so long to get back to you. Thank you for your grace, right? That's a phrase. Some of you have gotten that message from me before. Uh, St. Augustine once wrote this, for grace is given not because we have done good works, but in order that we might be able to do good works. More recently, author and pastor Max Licato wrote this, the meaning of life, the wasted years of life, the poor choices of life, we all have them, right? God answers the mess of life with one word, say it with me, grace. grace. Or how about a song? John Newton, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. See, when my kids have had a good day, when they've been well behaved, they like it when I come into their bedroom and I rock them to sleep and I say those affirming words into their ears. But when they've had a less than good day, when maybe their behavior hasn't lived up to the ideal that I know that they can, when they have struggled, when they've been torn down by them, their own actions or the actions and words of others, they don't just like hearing those affirming words, I love you, you are good, I'm proud of you. On those days, they need to hear those words, and that is grace. And that's the message that we're going to hear 
over and over again, resonating in all of the words that Paul is going to write to this messy and broken church 2,000 years ago. And there's four things that we learn just in the introduction of this letter about messy grace that are going to help us to understand what we're about to read throughout the rest of this fall. And the first one is this. The messy, that's you and me, by the way, the messy need to hear the message of grace from God himself. The messy need to hear the message of grace from God himself. Look at verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. Now, when I rock my kids to bed and I speak those affirming words into their ears, I don't tell them who I am, right? Because they know who I am. They know that I'm their father. I'm sitting there with them. But if I were to have to write a letter to them, right, like like Pastor Don's husband, right, he was just deployed within the last year and a half. I suspect that he wrote letters to their son. And if I had to write a letter to my children and I had to affirm them and I wanted to affirm and uplift them, I might begin that letter by reminding them of who I am and telling them who I am, and telling them my relationship with them and the authority from which I have to be able to speak those words. So if I was going to write a letter, maybe I'd say, this letter is coming from Tom, the one that God has willed to be your earthly father alongside your mother, Alyssa. And the reason I would start that way is because words matter depending on where they come from. Where words come from matters. Like if I'm walking down the the, the road with one of my children, right? And let's say we're just walking down the street and somebody sees one of my kids and says, oh, you look like a really nice young boy. Oh, you're such a well-behaved little girl. What, what, What do my kids do? How do they respond? They usually smile, right? And you think like, that's nice, right? Like they might even blush a little bit. But when it comes from their father, when those same words are spoken from their mother, when those same words are spoken from their Sunday school teacher who is committed to being in their life for an hour every Sunday, you might not think it's significant. I see some of you who are prepared to to be a part of that next week. If you haven't, we still need help because those words matter more. They matter more depending on the relationship that you have with that child. Paul begins his letter by saying, everything I'm about to say is coming from the relationship that I have with you. I am the one that God has called to plant this church. I was there. I know you. Many of you by name. I love you. This is what Paul is saying. And God has chosen him specifically to communicate this message that is coming directly from God. And I don't mean to say that in an overly spiritualized way. It's not like God then reaches down and grabs Paul's hand. I don't know if he's right or left-handed, but you know what I'm saying? That's, that's, not, that's not what he did, but the message itself that is on the page is coming from God himself. It's like when I rock my kids to sleep. Not only do I tell them I love them, but there's other affirming words that I use that come from our faith. I'll say to them, do you know that God loves you the most? Do you know that God loves you even more than I do? They'll say yes. I'll say, do you know that God knows every hair on our heads, which is not impressive for dad, but it is for you, right? And they'll laugh and they'll say yes, right? right? Now, those affirming words, those are not my words. I'm not making that up. I've learned that myself from the word of God. 
God has given me that message, but he's also given me a relationship with my children that I might take his message, his word, and communicate it in such a way that they might receive it. Paul is being called by God to do the same thing for the church in Corinth. And so he begins by saying, this is who I am. This is the authority by which I bring this message to you. And then we continue. Verse 2, he says, it's to the church, the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, and those called to be his holy people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace. To you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this part of the passage, the second thing we learn about messy grace is that the messy, again, that's you and me, the messy are set apart for grace by God. The messy are set apart for grace by God. Paul encourages them to understand that they have been set apart that they have been sanctified. That's what it means to be made holy, to be set apart for the purposes of God, for God's purpose, alongside every Christian across every place and every ethnicity and every time, grace and peace. These are two common phrases that you would use to greet someone, and both are connected to their source. They're coming from Jesus. That's where grace and peace comes from. And then we get to verse 4, and Paul begins to kind of rock the Corinthian church and speak some affirming words into their ears. Look at verse 4. He says, I always thank my God for you. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Now, at the very beginning, what we're going to see here is that Paul is already acknowledging that things are not perfect in Corinth. And when I say not perfect, if you've never read this letter before, I mean things are pretty bad. <laughs> Paul is thanking God for giving them his grace because they have desperately needed his grace over and over again. There's polarizing division across all sorts of different lines. There are leaders that are intentionally dividing people left and right. There is sexual immorality, other sorts of immorality that they're using faith in Jesus to try and justify. Christians are suing one another. They're abusing the Lord's Supper. They're denying the resurrection. The list goes on and on and on and on. And yet at the beginning, Paul is thanking God for this church. But he's thanking God for this church not because they're perfect. He's thanking them because his grace is perfect. Because God's grace has been gracious enough to allow God's work and his presence to still be found in this very broken place. And then Paul fleshes out specifically how that looks in verse 5. He says, For in him, in Christ, you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all kinds of knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. These are life-giving words. Because what these words mean are that despite all of the bad things that you're about to learn that are going on in this particular place among these particular people, in spite of all of that, they're still sharing the good news of Jesus with people that don't know Jesus. They have not yet learned how to live perfectly amongst themselves or others, and yet somehow 
People who have no hope in the world are finding their hope in Jesus through them anyway. And I think to myself, man, that's a vision for St. John's that I can get behind. Isn't it? Like, isn't that the kind of vision that you want your church to have, right? Because, I mean, let's just be honest. We're a little messy here, aren't we? And maybe you're visiting for the first time and you're looking for a church that isn't messy. Sorry, go somewhere else because it's not here. We get a little messy here at different times. We are messy too. And our hope, if our hope is that we can't share the love of Jesus until we get our act together, if this church can't proclaim to an unbelieving world that Jesus loves them too until we get our act together and we're perfect in every way, I'm afraid we might never have the chance to do that work, at least not as long as you keep me around as your pastor. It's probably not going to happen. But see, that isn't the case here in Corinth because the third thing that we're going to learn is that the messy, that's you and me, the messy are called to live by grace for God. By grace for God. God's grace doesn't wait until you're perfect. God's grace infuses the gospel, the good news, into your weaknesses. Doesn't wait until you're strong, but brings his strength into the moments when you're weak. Brings his completion into your brokenness. Brings his healing into the places where you are ill. Even brings his presence into your moments where you are in bondage to sin and you desperately want to get out. God wants to transform all of those moments so that they can be used by him. And Paul isn't the only one to say this. This message was proclaimed hundreds of years before, even thousands of years, but specifically 700 years before Paul and Jesus, there was a prophet by the name of Isaiah. And he spoke to the ancient nation of Israel, which itself was broken and divided in civil war. And he was speaking the words of God to the division and specifically to Judah and the city of Jerusalem. And look at Isaiah 57. There's just so many parallels here with what we just read. Take a look at verse 15. It says, For this is what the high and exalted one says, He who lives forever, whose name is holy. Who is that? Anybody? Jesus. It's God, right? Right? That's who God is. When you think of God, you think of the one who's high, who lives in heaven. You think of all of those things, right? And so just like Paul begins his letter, Isaiah begins with where this message is coming from, the high and exalted one. It's coming from God. And what does God say to a people who are broken and messy? Look at the next part of the verse. I live in a high and holy place. You are right. You know, instinctively, you don't even have to go to church to kind of think about God as living in a high and lofty place, right? So he says this. He says, he says, I live in a high and holy place, but I also live with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. Here's the truth in this. God doesn't just dwell on high. He also dwells on low. He dwells with the lowly. He dwells with the messy. His presence is found in the mess. God is not afraid of the mess. 
God wants to step into the sin that you desperately can't find your way out of alone. God wants you to know that his presence is alive and well in your divorce, in your anger problem, in your addiction, in your insecurity, in your moments of dishonesty. He can dwell in those places as we come before him as broken people because he has a purpose. And that purpose is found in the next part of the passage. He says, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Let me just read that whole verse again. For this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place, but I also live with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly And to revive the heart of the contrite. Now it doesn't mean that God's heart doesn't break for the brokenness in our lives. God is a parent who loves us. And just like an earthly parent's heart breaks when our children hurt themselves or hurt others or make mistakes. God takes our messes very seriously. And he fleshes out how he does that in the next passage. Look at verse 16. He says, I will not accuse them forever, nor will I always be angry. For then they would walk, they would fade away because of me. God stayed angry at us forever. We would fade away. And he says, I will not do that, for they are the very people that I have created. I was enraged by their sinful greed. I punished them. I hid my face in anger, and yet they kept on in their willful ways. Which you will see. And the God of the Bible is different than any other God that you could ever go and and learn about. And the same was true thousands of years ago. In ancient Corinth, at one time, there was at least 12 temples to 12 different gods, 12 different philosophies, 12 different ways in which to understand the world. And the difference in the God of the Bible is that the God of the Bible takes our sins seriously. He takes the messes of this world seriously. When you look at the way in which which our our world is being impacted uh, by things like hurricanes and fires, when when you see the images coming out of Afghanistan, when you look at this, this virus that continues to wreak havoc in all sorts of different ways, you can know that God's heart breaks for that, and it breaks for the injustices that come out of humanity. It breaks for all of these things to the point that just like an earthly parent, sometimes when things are so broken in your child's life, right, sometimes you even have to look away, right? You even have to look away. God has done this in the past, but he says that instead of separating himself from us, he cannot stay away forever. He cannot stay away forever. Verse 18, he says, I have seen their ways, but I will heal them. I will guide them and restore comfort to Israel's mourners, creating praise on their lips. Peace, peace to those who are far and near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. And I think about my own role as an earthly father to my children. And I think this is the model that God gives for me as well. It's natural, right? Right? Alyssa and I both, we love our children. We get angry at our children when they make mistakes. But because they are our children, we can't stay away. 
We cannot stay away. We, we didn't open ourselves up to the grace of God that would allow us to become parents and welcome children into our family and into the world uh, in order to turn away from them, right? Like, that's not any parent's purpose. That's, that's not why we got into this to begin with. We brought children into our home and welcomed this gift that comes from God because we felt called to love them. That's the purpose. And the truth is, as a child of God, God created you for the same purpose. God didn't need you. Before the creation of the world, God wasn't bored. Hmm, I think I'll just make a world and put people on it. That's not what it was. God wasn't bored. God wasn't lonely. God was not lacking something God wanted you. And I always use the analogy of marriage, right? When you get married, do you want your future spouse to look at you and say, well, you know what? I want to marry you because I need your money. <laughs> because I need something tangible that you can provide me that I didn't have before. No, 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 no. No one gets married for that reason. People get married because they feel wanted. That's what we want. And see, God wants you. And he wants you. And he loves you so much. He can't help but turn himself back to you and whisper into your ear, do you know that I love you? And I hope that as you hear those words, I hope that you can say back to him, yes, I do. And you can hear him say, do you know that I am proud of you? And you can say yes. And you can hear the voice of God say, do you know that I think you're really smart? That you're really gifted. And you can say, yes, God, I know that you think that. I know that you know that. And then you can hear him say, do you know that you are such a good, a very good son, a very good daughter. And I hope you say, I can hear that. And I do. But I know there's also some of you that are like, wait a minute, I can't say that yet. It's the legalists in the room because I haven't arrived. And so how can I hear God say that I'm good because I know that I'm not always good? How can I hear God say that, that he has made me with purpose when I know that every day uh, there's days and times that I fall so short of that purpose that I am not perfect? How can I hear those words? Here's the reason you can hear those words. Because God is not finished with you yet. God is not finished yet. You will be perfected. And that is the promise that Paul begins this letter with. And it will have nothing to do with what you are capable of. And it will have everything to do with what God is going to complete and accomplish for you. That's grace. Look at verse 7. He says, Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that is the last thing that we learn this morning about messy grace. And that is that the messy are called to find their hope in the grace of God. The messy are called to find their hope in the grace of God. And so as we're going to dig into the messes of life, Messes that many of us are all too familiar with because our lives can be messy to see that Paul is beginning his letter with the end in mind. Don't forget, in God, you already have everything you need. You are not lacking in any gift. 
or ability that will be required to overcome the mess that you have found yourself in. It's not that it's easy, but it will be worth it. And you can be confident in that because Paul says, as he writes to the church in Philippi, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. And so would you join me now as we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank and praise you for your messy grace. We come before you, maybe even opening up our hands physically as a, as a surrender to you and saying, I agree, I'm messy too. There's places in my life that are not perfect. That just like a child, as I hear your voice say to me, you are loved, you are good, you are gifted, you have purpose. I know that there are moments in my life, that there have been moments this week, maybe even so far today, where I have not lived up to your goodness. Where I have not lived up to your love. Where I have not lived up to your purposes. There are places in my life that are messy. And so I bring those things before you and I surrender them to you now. And I hear your words cutting through my sin, cutting through my, my lack of faith, cutting through my moments where I have been less than. Because in my weaknesses, you are strong. And your desire is to infuse your grace into the broken parts in my life that even before I see the realization of what you began in me, even as I continue to grow and learn in your grace and your mercy and your love and your truth, you want to do this work in me, not just for myself, but that I might go out into the world. The Apostle Paul who writes these words, who challenges this church in difficult ways is also the one who says, why do I keep doing the things that I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I want to do? He calls himself the chief of sinners, the chief of the mess. Lord Jesus, I feel that way sometimes too. And so as we bring those messes before you, help us to be reminded that we are loved by you, not because of anything we have done or have failed to do, but we are loved by you because you created us for that purpose. When you created Adam and Eve, you said they were very good and we come from Adam and Eve. We are very good too. We are very good because we bear your likeness and image. We look like you. We have given your, we've been given by you your purpose to extend grace into the world and to share your love with people who don't yet know it. And yet, God, we cannot share with the world something that we have not yet received ourselves. 